We are continuing our series called Encounters with Jesus. So we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 4 this morning. If you have one of the Pew Bibles, it's probably on 502, page 502, somewhere around there. Um, It's 501 last week. So Um, yeah, I'll pray and we'll get going. Father, thank you for your word as your son, Jesus, instructs us. We don't live by bread alone. We live by your word. May you transform us. May you nourish us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 4, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus said to him, or answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord, your God, to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is God's word. I remember when I was in first grade and my mom was picking me up from school and as for parents with school, back to school, we're all familiar with that routine. But on this particular, one particular day, my mom had said, okay, meet me at certain place in the school building, I will pick you up. However, I had friends, they participated in the after school program with the Y that happened in the, uh, you know, playing field behind the school, and they talked about how fun it was. And I remember thinking, wow, that sounds really fun. I'd love to join you. But my mom said, meet her here. But there was a moment, I don't remember what I consciously was thinking, but I decided, you know what? It would be better if I went with my friends. And so, I mean, they were playing fun games and everything, and they were doing stuff together. So, I mean, that sounds like a great idea. So I went with them, and they were playing fl- uh, uh, football. They were going to play football. It was going to be touch football. Although they said, okay, we're going to play football. I say, I love football. I see it. My dad watches it on Sunday. People hit each other. That sounds like a lot of fun. Okay, so let's go. We split up teams. Okay, my only reference for football is on TV. Okay, kickoff. All right, I'm on this team. We're kicking off to you. I think, oh, you know what happens in football? They hit each other hard. 
Let me find somebody on the other team. I'm going to hit him as hard as I can. That's what I do. I run and I hit and I let me find he he didn't have the ball. He wasn't blocking me from the ball, but he was on the other team. So this is great. I I knock him to the ground. He's hurt. He's he's saying this this is hurtful and the the guy in charge, he's like, "Okay, I should have said we're playing touch football, not tackle." Anyways, I had a great time until my mom found me. And yeah, when I got home, that was not so fun. Um, there, was, there was a discipline that I got. But you see, in, in that particular situation, there was a moment where I was tempted. You know, there was something that I was supposed to do, but then there was something better that I could do. At least I thought it would be better. At least I thought it would be for my well-being. But it ended, ended up not being so. And the reality is, as benign as that situation is for the types of responsibilities that I have now, we all face temptations that are not benign at all. And in some cases, it might be something that we, in our better judgment, would say, this is obviously wrong and I don't want to do it, but something comes over us and we give in. In other cases, it could be because we're so worn down or so discouraged Life been, has been so hard to us. Sometimes we self-deceive and we think, you know, I don't really have an issue, but we engage in various temptations and still other times we feel entitled. In this particular encounter that Jesus has with Satan, we see that Jesus himself is tempted and it actually is good news for those of us who are tempted this encounter that he has with Satan. And so today's sermon is entitled, God's Faithfulness to You Through Christ's Faithfulness to Him. Jesus is faithful in this text to the Father, and that's good news for you. It demonstrates the faithfulness of God to you. And there's three ways uh, through the text that we'll talk about that. Number one, Jesus' faithful. Union. I'll explain what I mean by union, the faithful union of his, his two natures, what's going on here in the text. Secondly, his unyielding submission, submission to God's will, to his word, to the Father. And thirdly, the glorious transfer. It's what's offered to you and I through what Jesus accomplishes here. Faithful union, unyielding submission, glorious transfer. God's faithfulness to you through Christ's faithfulness to him. Point one, the faithful union. What do I mean by that? We may not think about this in depth on, you know, often, but in reality, when Jesus, he comes and he's incarnate, he has two natures. We've talked a little bit about this over the past two weeks. He is fully God. He's fully man. He has a divine nature and a human nature. And there is what's called, if you want to know a, you know, a fancy term, a hypostatic union. The union of these two natures present in one person, Jesus Christ. All right? He is the son of God, as it was mentioned in the baptism story in chapter 3. He's God's son. But if you look in between the baptism story and the chapter 4, you see the genealogy of Jesus reminding us that he's also the son of man. He also has a earthly heritage, that he also has an earthly ancestry. He's both fully God 
and fully man. Two natures. The Athanasian Creed, uh, though it was not written by its namesake, the church father, the North African church father, Athanasius, who was bold during a time when the church um, had division over what, who is Jesus uh, in the fourth century, and he, he boldly stood up for what the word says. Uh, this creed was written actually the following century, likely the fifth century, and here is what it says about Jesus. This is what's embedded in the history of the church in Orthodox theology about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what it says, part of it. This, that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and human equally. He is God from the essence of the Father, begotten before time. Notice, not born, begotten, eternally begotten, eternally the Son of God. Begotten before time, and he is human from the essence of his mother, born in time. Completely God, completely human, with a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father as regards to divinity less than the Father as regards to humanity. Although he is God and human, yet Christ is not two, but one. He is one, however, not by his divinity being turned into flesh, but by God taking humanity to himself. He is one, certainly not by the blending of his, of his essence, but by the unity of his person. For just as one human is both rational soul and flesh, so too the one Christ is both God and human. Now, there's a lot that is said here. But if you can imagine, in this period of time, there were those that were saying, well, Jesus is two, you know, almost, he's two different people. You know, he's God and he's man on one extreme. And then you had those that were saying, well, he's just, he only has one nature, nature on the other extreme. And so there was, in the, in the, in the ecumenical councils of 431 and 451, there was, a common understanding that was brought forth from the scripture. This is who Jesus is, two natures. And why is that important? Well, because in this text, it's talking about him being tempted. And as scripture tells us in James 1.13, I believe that's going to be on the screen. God can't be tempted. James 1.13 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. See, God can't be tempted. And he himself tempts no one. So for Jesus to be going through temptation, it's not his divine nature that's being tempted. It is his human nature, right? What's, why is that important? Well, as we'll see in the various temptations, what's being offered is Satan inaugurates, if you are the son of God, dot, dot, dot. What's being offered to Jesus is many things, but one of them is to fully embrace his humanity. To not, as T.F. Uh, Torrance says, to not rely solely on his divinity over against his humanity as he's weary and hungry. To not rely on himself, but to be fully dependent on the Father. That is essential for you and I, that Jesus maintains faithfulness in this way. You see, because 
as his ministry unfolds, there will be other times when he could have relied only on his divinity over against his humanity. When he was in the garden and he was succumbed by the Roman officials who were, or the officials rather, the Jewish officials that were arresting him, uh, and, and his, his, his own disciples, they bring out the sword. Jesus says, put the sword away. Jesus says, I could have called down a legion of angels to combat. I could have relied on my divinity to combat this group who's come against me. It's not because of a lack of power that I'm giving myself over. It's because it's God's will. I'm not going to forsake my humanity for my divinity. And certainly on the cross, what was the taunt, one of the taunts of the people? You healed others, Jesus. Heal yourself. Come down off the cross. Show us that you are the king. Again, Jesus stays faithful to his humanity. It, it, it would be like, it would be like, maybe some of you can relate to this, I don't know. It, it would be like if, you know, in high school, if you're the cool athlete, but you're also like the super studious student, you know, top of your class. So you've got these two crowds, right? The, the, the sort of athlete crowd and you've got the nerd crowd or what have you. Um, no offense. Um, and you decided, well, which one do I want to be? Well, push comes to shove. Who am I actually? Who am I going to present myself? You see, Jesus, he, he remains faithful to who he is. All right. How does that affect you and I? We're going to talk, but we'll get to that in our last point. But second point here is unyielding submission, unyielding submission. It, it would be easy to just sort of gloss over this, but when you we're going to look at the three temptations individually, but Jesus demonstrates himself as a faithful son to the father. I mean, first of all, in verse one, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. He's following the leading of the Holy Spirit for 40 days being tempted by the devil. So Jesus, he's being faithful to follow the spirit. It's clearly God who's leading him there to face this temptation from Satan. In the first temptation, what does the devil say to him? If you are the son of God, verse three, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, perhaps, have you ever fasted? I mean, certainly maybe for medical reasons or, you know, if you have to do blood work, you have to do the fasting. Um, I have engaged in fasting as a spiritual discipline. I, I learned about it in high school and practiced it on and off, um, you know, pretty much from that point on. And so I've never fasted 40 days. Um, I don't know what I would be if I did that, if I would even still, still be here. Uh, but I have, I have done some long fasts. I think I've, the longest I did was, I don't know, 10 days. Um, you're pretty hungry after 10 days. Go figure. Uh, imagine, imagine 40 days fasting. 40 days. I, I, it's like your, your body's just eating itself at that point. Imagine how weary. I mean, there have been some fasts. Okay, there's grace. I do it. There, trust me, there's been a ton of times I was like, oh, gosh, I don't think I can do this anymore. You know what? Somebody offered me free food. 
Lord, this is too hard of a burden. I'm just gonna have to break my fast. This, must, this free fruit must have been from you, by the way. So therefore, you're telling me I need to stop fasting. You know, or, or some other lame excuse. But for many, there's certainly plenty of times when, yeah, I, I can't do this anymore. I've, I, we, I was weak. You know, I, I failed with whatever I was set out to do. Imagine Jesus after 40 days and then the Satan is coming to him with this temptation. Turn, just turn the stone into bread. It's okay. Just rely on yourself, Jesus. You are the son of God, aren't you? Jesus succeeds in this. What's the significance? He succeeds in this where Adam in the garden and Israel in the wilderness fail. Adam in the garden was surrounded by every abundance of food, all the plants. In fact, if you read uh, in Genesis um, chapter two, we often think, oh, God gave Adam, told him don't eat the fruit. What God told Adam and Eve is that you should eat of all of these trees. There's an, over, there's an emphasis and emphatic over the fact, the positive, you should eat of all these trees of the fruit, but there's one tree you should not eat of. Adam had everything at his disposal, yet he failed. He wasn't hungry, yet he failed in this regard. Israel, in the wilderness, after God delivers them from, from, from Egypt, they're in the wilderness, and they're, they're saying, you know what? There's so many of us. There's no food here. God, where are you? We're going to suffer. We're going to die. You brought us out here to the wilderness to die. They complain against God. And God provides them manna and quail. So Jesus succeeds where Adam and Israel fails. And he succeeds where you and I fail. You see, because when we're tempted in so many different ways and so many different manners to rely on ourselves, to not rely on God, Jesus succeeded in that test. Where the stakes were a lot higher. Secondly, in the second temptation... Satan, after Jesus responds, and which, by the way, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy all three times here in his response to Satan. Uh, Satan comes back to him and says, the devil took him up and showed him in verse five, all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If then you will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. It's really hard to fathom the glory and the authority that is at stake in this offer. But first we must at least note for Satan to say, yeah, I, I, you know, I have, I have it all and I'll give it to you if you just do this one thing. There's got to be a lie in there somewhere. That's just his native tongue. Um, and, it, you know, you, we, we, could, we don't even have time to get into all of that. But this would be like, you know, let's just say for you, it could be that promotion. It could be, you know, tenure. It could be um, you could have this job lined up after you finish school. You know, it could be any number of things. It's, 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 it's the glory of being able to say, look at what I have. Look at my status. Or it's the... It's the it's the sort of glory around, look at all the people who report to me. Look at all that I own, all that I'm over. 
you see, but on a much greater magnitude than what any of us engages in. All the kingdoms of the world, all their glory. Satan's offer would expose, to put it into context of your and I's situation, it would expose the idols of our heart around comfort, around entitlement, or glory. Here's what I mean. Comfort. Well, after 40 days of fasting, man, this fasting thing was too hard. You know, things in my life, they're too hard. I need something a little more comfortable. I need something easier. Maybe I should go for what's easy. I should go for what's comfortable. Things are just too hard. Or, or it could be the temptation around entitlement, a, a warped sense of justice. You know, I endured all of this. I sat here in the wilderness for this long a time. You know what? I deserve that. I endured all of the hardships of my job. I endured all of the hardships of my upbringing. I endured all of the hardships of fill in the blank. Therefore, I deserve it. I deserve this thing. Somebody should have given it to me anyways. Or it could be about the glory. It's, it's man, think of what people will say once I get to this level, once I achieve this goal. It, so it doesn't matter what corners I cut or things that I do to compromise my character. Imagine what people are going to say about me. See, Satan's offer in this second offer is to derail God's plan. That you could get glory through self-exaltation, whereas God's plan for Jesus He's going to get glory, but it's going to come through the road of suffering instead. And as a, as a follower of Christ, that's the same road God's called us to. All right. Now, the third test, the third test, the third temptation, it says that he took him up to Jerusalem and, you know, scholars and interpreters, it's like, you know, how that happened and was this a vision? Was it in real life? There's no reference to other people. We don't know. But um, he took him up to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and to guard you. This is Satan quoting scripture, Psalm 91. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan's tempting Jesus to believe the lie that perhaps God is not really with him. I mean, here's what the scripture says, Jesus. Here's how God will protect his people. Certainly, if you're the son of God, God will do that for you. So just, is he really with you? Is he really there? Just throw yourself down. Let's see what will happen. He'll show, him, he'll show up, won't he? And if Jesus refutes that and says, no, we shouldn't, I shouldn't put, put God to the test. But what that means for us is we might say, look at the chaos of our world. Is God really present? Look at the chaos of my life. Is he really here with me? I mean, the chaos of the world, the pandemic, there's a war going on. There's many wars going on. 
The price of things has been increasing. We're still in the pandemic. I mean, there's just so much chaos. There's so much hardship. There's so much darkness. There's violence. There's shootings. There's so many things. Is God really here? You know, for some, it might even be this so extreme or so intense. You may wonder, look at all the chaos. Is there even a good God in existence? In the book, the Russian literature uh, book, um, The Brothers Karamazov, this is three brothers. The middle brother, Ivan, though the, the youngest brother, Alyosha, he's a, he's a devout believer. He's part of a monastery. Um, he is... Um, devout, and he's serving, you know, this sort of um, great monk. But his brother Ivan doesn't believe. And they have this interchange over um, in a cafe. And Ivan says, the reason why I don't believe is I look at all the children and all the injustices that happen in this world to children, and therefore, how could there be a God? That's his thought. And for some of you, you may feel the same. You may feel similar. If there's, with all the chaos, with all the suffering, with all the injustices, with all of the darkness, where is God in that? And, and that's what Jesus is, rather Satan is offering to Jesus. Is God really with you? It's the same, it's the same lie that the Israelites believed in the, in the, in the, uh, in the wilderness. Uh, in fact, that is referenced by what Jesus is quoting. Jesus quotes this scripture from Deuteronomy that harks back to where Israel is in Exodus 17 and they have no water. And they're saying basically, God is not here. We are in this wilderness. We had it much better in Egypt. God is not here. And therefore they grumbled against God. And Jesus is saying, we shouldn't test God. They were testing him. That was the, the point of that passage. And, and for, for, for maybe it's the chaos of the world that you would say, you know what, I don't see where God is. Or, you know, maybe it's just the sense of you feel like you've lost control and it's, you've, you've wanted to serve the idol of what I can control and you've lost control of your life and you're wondering where is God in the midst of all the things that have gone wrong. Jesus remains faithful and he doesn't, he, he, he says, Essentially, here's what Jesus is saying. I know the Father is with me. I know he provides for me. I don't need to create an artificial test to prove it. I know he's my shepherd. I know, you know, Jesus would have been familiar with Psalm 23, obviously, and, and probably knew it um, uh, by heart. He is my shepherd. He, I won't, I shall not want. I, he's going to provide for me no matter what. And so this leads us to the final point, the glorious transfer. What does this mean for you? What is Jesus's faithfulness in the wilderness amidst his temptation to worship uh, Satan, to get the gratification of all the glory, his temptation to turn uh, stone into bread, his temptation to throw himself off the temple? What does that mean for you? Well, for all of human history up until this point, Satan was batting a thousand and offering lies to humanity. But this is the one time where a human overcomes. Jesus Christ, our Lord, overcomes Satan. Before we get to the cross, Jesus is already showing he's victorious over Satan, 
before we even get to the scene of the cross. Before Jesus begins his ministry, he's already demonstrating he is victorious over darkness. And so you're tempted and you think, hey, the world is too scary or messed up and chaotic. Where is God? Look at all my social media feeds. Look at all the push notifications from all of my news apps. And you increase in anxiety. You feel overwhelmed. You decide, I will do what is safe. I will serve the idol of comfort. Instead of worshiping God, you're worshiping comfort. What Jesus does in his faithfulness is he shows you what it means to fully surrender to the God of all comfort. Instead of worshiping the God of comfort, he offers to you to know the God who comforts all, who comforts those who believe him. Instead of serving the God of control, he offers to you the God who is in control of all. Instead of, you know, worshiping the God of my entitlement. He offers you the God of all justice. You're tempted. Hey, I, I, I've done things a certain way. I've planned it. I've, 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 I feel like if I plan it all out, it's going to go my way. But then it doesn't go your way and you decide, you know what? Maybe it's not worth my effort. You lose interest. You lose motivation. You stop caring. Jesus, he encounters Satan and overcomes this temptation to give you hope. You see, here's what it says in Hebrews 2.17 about the, the impact of Jesus' overcoming temptation. Two, Hebrews 2.17 and 18. It says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, talking about Jesus. Jesus had to be made like you and I in every way so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the, present, in the service of God to make propitiation, in other words, to take away God's wrath uh, for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You see, because Jesus overcame temptation, he actually is able to empathize with you in your temptation. He offers you mercy, even when you give in, but he offers you grace to overcome. He offers you mercy when you give in to the idol of comfort and the idol of, of control, but he offers you grace to be set free from serving comfort, from serving control, from feeling like the world is too chaotic, I'm just caving in, from feeling like I've been isolated throughout the pandemic and I'm believing all the lies and things that come to my mind about what other people think about me. Jesus offers you grace to overcome all of that. That is what his faithfulness to the Father means for you in God's faithfulness to you. So in closing, If you are overwhelmed, if temptation is getting the best of you, don't give up. Jesus is faithful to you. He is with you. He's able to help you. Maybe you've never asked him for help in whatever it is you're suffering under or afflicted with. Invite his help. If you're in despair, if you're thinking about the chaos of this world, Jesus 
offers you mercy and he calls you to walk in his hope. That you can have hope, even in the midst of chaos. If you're feeling tempted to withdraw from others, you've believed the lies of maybe the isolation of the pandemic or for whatever other reason, any number of other reasons, Jesus is with you. He calls you to walk in love. He's giving you grace to walk in love, to not default to withdrawal, but to engage in community. If you've been tempted with, I've lost control, I'm, I'm addicted to control or, or anything along that lines, Jesus is there to help you. He's calling you to walk in faith, the trust that he can work out what you cannot. That you don't have to make all the plans to make it all work, but he's the one. And so you say, you know, I, I, I want his comfort. I want, I, want, I want to not give in to control. I want to not give in to these things. Here's the thing. Jesus is not a la carte. You can't just take one part of him and leave the other. If you want his comfort, if you want his forgiveness, if you want his mercy, if you want his grace, you need to give him all. You see, because otherwise you didn't actually give him. You didn't actually give up control if you didn't give him all. You didn't actually give up uh, uh, whatever other idol if you don't give him all. But if you give him all, you turn from the idol and you surrender to his goodness and grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for his faithfulness to you that you could be faithful to us to offer the many blessings, the many benefits of what Jesus provided through facing temptation and overcoming. Lord, may we encounter you, even as we're tempted, to know that you're here to help us. In Jesus' name, amen.